0: Hey, welcome to the Remote Lale Life and Faith Podcast, a long-form podcast designed to help you thrive in your life as well as in your faith.
1: Hey, thank you so much for tuning into the Remote Lale Life and Faith Podcast. Just a heads up, this episode was recorded when I used to have a channel called Thoughts Longer Than Three Minutes. So I might mention that, but really it's the same format that you know, and it's the same kind of content. Please do enjoy. Awesome. Well, uh, welcome, uh, everybody who's listening. Welcome to Thoughts Longer Than Three Minutes. Uh, so grateful today to be able to speak to uh, someone that I've corresponded with for a while over email and even, you know, kind of works on a project together. Uh, but now we, this is our first time being able to really chat and physically see each other, even though it's through technology. Uh, but just looking forward to a great conversation uh, with a man doing some great things for God and, and living, living a life, I believe, worth uh, learning from. And so, uh, yeah, this is, our, this is my conversation with Will Lambert. How's it? Will, welcome to the podcast, man.
0: Thank you so much, Remo. It is,
1: uh, it's great to be
0: here and it is good to be able to connect and hear each other's voices after sending emails uh,
1: back and forth over the course of the last year. And it's cool to connect in this way. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for being here, brother. So if you could just uh, dive in for us here and give us a brief intro into who is Will Lambert, kind of where you at, life, marital status, that kind of thing. And then we'll dive into our conversation for the day.
0: Sure. Um, So, yeah, again, my name is Will Lambert. I'm 30 years old. Uh, My wife, Kristen, and I, we've been married for six and a half years, coming up on seven years. And I have been a Christian for 15 years now. I, I became a Christian as a teenager uh, at wow. 15 years old. So it's now half of my life. Uh, I've been a Christian. And from this point forward, I will have lived more years as a Christian than not, which is a, it's a cool milestone. Come and uh, I'm a father as well. We, we have a two-year-old son who was born here in Madrid uh, two years ago. Uh, which for us is the foreign mission field. My wife and I are both American, and uh, we've been here in Madrid for three and a half years, working with uh, working with a, a church here.
1: Awesome! Thanks, brother. That is that is cool, man. Fifteen years is a is a long time. Goodness gracious! Uh, congratulations on yeah. into the, the realm of uh, being a Christian more time in your life than than being not a Christian. I know that's a that's a that's a cool milestone to be able to cross. Uh, so, Will, let's, let's maybe start at the beginning uh, of your life, uh, kind of your childhood. Uh, when, um, where, where did you grow up? I know you're from the U.S., uh, but where did you grow up? Uh, I grew
0: up, it's, that's a, a great question. So, I am a person who has moved around quite a bit. Okay. Um, I actually was born sorry Remo my we may have to pause for a second okay cool no uh, just because my, my son just came in the room okay. I think my wife is
1: talking to one of our neighbors okay cool no problem Cool. All right. Welcome back, Will. Uh, no problem. I know your your little guy came came in to pay you a visit. Uh, yeah. So for those listening, yes. Will Will has a two-year-old, almost two-year-old son, uh, who just popped in. So we just had to pause there for a bit. Uh, but Will, you were saying uh, that yeah, you kind of grew up all over the place. So so take us take us from there.
0: I did. So uh, the the shortest version possible is my parents are both American. And they, they became Christians around the time they were in, in university. And they actually moved from the U.S. to, to Buenos Aires, Argentina okay. to serve as missionaries. And that's actually where they were married. And so I was born in Argentina, kind of as an American citizen born abroad. And we moved around quite a bit after Argentina. We lived in Mexico for a few years. And that was sort of my connection with the Spanish language and culture Mm-hmm. But as a three-year-old, uh, just as a little kid, we moved to the U.S., moved around three different cities. But my hometown, if I had to just say, you know, in general, where am I from? It's Baltimore, Maryland. So that, okay. that was sort of where I grew up spiritually. That's where I went to university. Uh, that's my,
1: my hometown. Cool. Cool. And, and I mean, you you know, you probably don't remember the moving around outside of the States, but do you remember kind of moving around in the States and and what did you feel like as you were, you know, kind of uh, city hopping, for lack of a better term? I, I do remember it, uh,
0: you know, from the time we first moved to the States all the way sort of through high school for me. I think uh, in that time I attended seven different schools in four or five different cities because even sometimes we would move from one town to another, you know, in the same city, sort of the, sure. the suburbs of the same city. Uh, So it was hard for sure, obviously, to have to make new friendships kind of start from zero. But I think there were some positives, too, uh, in the sense that I had, I had to learn how to make friends quickly. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that for me now, is maybe a little bit easier for me than it would have been if I lived in the same place my whole life, because I had to learn how to make relationships quickly, and get comfortable with people quickly. so there are certainly pros and cons, but as a little kid, it's hard, you know, you know, okay, I have to leave my friends, going to a new school, uh,
1: kind of learning things all over again. That's challenging. Yeah. And at, 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 at any point, did you kind of feel resentment or anger, kind of look at your parents? Like, man, why can't we just stay in one place? Did that ever kind of cross your mind?
0: I'm sure I did. I. I don't remember right now any vivid feelings you know, of anger or resentment, but, but I'm sure I did and I think probably the, the hardest move for me was our last move. I was already 15 years old, and okay. so uh, that was tough. We had lived in the same place for eight years, okay. and then when I was 15, we had to move again, and that, that was the hardest move because... Oh,
1: yeah. um, oh, yeah. It's okay. That's so cool. Tell him I say oh. There's
0: uh there's the little guy again. <laughs> yeah, that the last move when I was 15, that was that was challenging for sure. Cause it felt like, wow, I've now spent eight years in the same place with these sort of long established friendships and I have to leave that behind. Sure. That was hard. Fortunately, I had I, I had already become a Christian at that point. So I think having that perspective helped a lot of just, okay, okay I could see things through that lens of my own relationship with God and looking maybe at the bigger picture, right? Then that I, I wouldn't have been able to see the bigger picture probably
1: if I hadn't already been a Christian. Sure. Okay. The, the reason I asked that is just because a previous guest, Stephen aguaya he had moved around a little bit as, as a, as a child of kind of missionaries just like you kind of thing. And he, he had shared some interesting things that I had never considered, as someone who just knew him or knew someone who kind of lived the life of being a, a mm. missionary or, or a church leader per- child who moved around. So we're just trying to see if if, if you shared some similar sen- sentiments. Um, but sure, t- t- tell me about growing up as kind of you know the 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 son of the I think I guess your parents because I know them as leading a church now, but I'm pretty sure they were kind of involved. At, different levels of ministry, but what did it feel like growing up as a child of a, a ministry couple? And did you, I mean, did you enjoy it? Did you feel like, man, I get special treatment? Was there pressure? You know, all of that kind of stuff. How, how was that?
0: Mm. You know, I, I think for the most part, I did not enjoy it. And, and I remember specifically, uh, I just felt so weird when I would be talking with my friends at school and you know inevitably you start talking about what your parents do for work, and uh for a long time, I used to lie, and I just said, "Oh, my dad is a lawyer," because before my parents started working in ministry, my dad actually worked as a lawyer, he was a practicing lawyer, so I just went back to that and and lied and said, "Oh, my dad's a lawyer," because if you say my dad's a minister, it's like, well, that's weird, and I don't know anyone else whose dad is a minister, and so certainly as I don't probably through the time I was a preteen, I really did not enjoy it. And, uh, and I think that that is something I had to work through quite a bit as I, as I started to study the scriptures, just to have my own relationship with God and figure out if I wanted to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. because I really had to make my own decision. Uh, that was certainly something I had to wrestle through was I've got to make sure I'm doing this for me and not for my parents or for the church because i think it is true in the back of people's minds they think okay well of course the church leaders kids are are going to become christians there's no doubt about that yeah which of course we know that's not true right every every family and every child is going to have to make their own decisions and wrestle through things but but i did have to to think a lot about that and really make sure if I'm gonna do this right, if I'm gonna pursue a relationship with God, mm-hmm. I can't do this to make my parents happy or to make the church happy to sort of fit into the mold that they want me to fit into.
1: Sure.
0: Um, so it, I think there, yeah, there's certainly a lot of aspects of
1: that that were that were challenging. Yeah. Okay. Cause uh, and maybe help us out, Che. You know, I I grew up with parents who were Christians and there was definitely a, I mean, my dad, he used to say point blank, like, I'm not afraid to tell you, yes, I'm putting pressure on you to become a Christian. Like he's like, he grew up, you know, in a, in a semi-religious household. His parents didn't put the pressure on him and he felt like he lost out because of that. And so he wanted to put the pressure um, on us as, as his kids. Um, so, so how people, how did you kind of, you know, come through that? Like figure out, okay, yes, there's pressure, but I'm I'm going to work and make sure that I'm doing this for myself. What were some things that you did? Cause some of the people who listen to this are growing up questioning, am I going to be a Christian? Am I not? You know, they're growing up in households, maybe not with ministers as parents, but definitely Christian parents. Um, and they are kind of contemplating, okay, do I do this? Don't I do this? So help, help them out or help me out. as to how do we, how do we make sure that man we're doing this for the right reasons and that the pressure is not just what we're doing it to doing it for
0: sure, that uh, that is a great question. I think it's a profound question um, that probably every child and every parent as well, right? Every parent who's a Christian with children is who are growing up and kind of coming to that age where they're gonna be making a decision. That's a big one. Yeah. Uh, i I think of maybe two things that that I would say helped me. So one, one thing I really appreciate about my parents is that uh, from the time that I decided I do want to study the Bible, I want to study the scriptures and figure this out, they sort of took a step back uh, and they, they made a point to not even ask me about what I was studying, right? They, they knew I was. And of course, you know, I was living in their house, so they knew, okay, Will is going out for a Bible study. He's coming back and But I think they they made a specific point. We're not going to ask him, for example, oh, what did you learn or when is your next meeting or what's the Mm -hmm. next topic you're studying? They didn't ask any of those questions, which I really appreciated. It helped me feel like, okay, this really is this is my own life. This is my own relationship with God. And I think another thing that helped me a lot was I was able to have some peer relationships with other teenagers who were sort of going through the same process. and I had some friends who did decide to become Christians as well and other friends who in the end did not right yeah. they sort of they also were figuring out okay I'm my parents are Christians I'm growing up trying to decide if I'm gonna do this or not mm-hmm. and some did and some didn't but I think those relationships helped me because I could have conversations with them where it felt like I don't have to try to give the right answer all the yeah. time or i don't have to try to make my friends happy we're all going through this we're all figuring this out mm-hmm. and everyone's going to have their own process so those two things helped quite a bit for me to feel like this is my own kind of walk this is my own journey that i'm on
1: yeah that's awesome i really like the the friendship point because i think that is that's so true. I also had when I was kind of making these decisions, I also had a couple of friends, we were all kind of contemplating it together. And you're right, that you can have the honest conversation of man, I just don't get this or this makes total sense to me and someone else is totally disagreeing with you. So that, that kind of right. dialogue is really, really helpful. Um, but, but kind of talk us through this. So 15 year old Will, you know, decides, man, I want to figure out uh, this Christianity thing and make make a decision for myself, right? Make, make a personal decision uh, to become a Christian. Uh, what were kind of the big turning points? Cause now you are a Christian, right? 15 years later, you have been living this out. What were some of the big uh, turning points or big things that you were like, man, this is, this, there's just no other way for me, but to become a Christian.
0: Well, it took me a while. I, I studied the Bible for nine months before, before I made a decision. And, and there were different periods of time, even within those nine months where I sort of stopped for maybe three or four weeks and then picked it back up. And, uh, and I got to a point where I had learned everything I needed to learn. I had all the sure. knowledge, right? As far as, okay, if I want to become a Christian, this is what I need to do. And so then it was a matter of deciding, is this what I want? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I knew intellectually, this is the right thing. It, it, it made sense to me intellectually. I, it made sense to me as I read the scriptures. Okay, this is rational. This is logical. Um, but I had to decide, is this really what I want to do with my life? And, and so I, there was kind of a, a specific moment where I, I just sat down and I thought, okay, what are my options, right? Like, let's say if I don't become a Christian, well, then what am I going to live for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was an athlete, I was a runner, I ran uh, cross country and, and track, I did distance running. So I thought, okay, I could maybe dedicate myself to that and make that sort of the, the goal or my main ambition in life. Or I could dedicate myself to academics and just try to succeed there and, and sort of make that the, the barometer for how I feel week to week or day to day if I'm successful academically. I feel content. I feel happy, yeah. and another pretty appealing thing for me was just to be popular, to be known, to be liked. Um, you know, I was kind of in in one of those middle groups of friends, right? Because, thinking in every sort of school culture across the world, you have all your different pockets of people, mm-hmm. and I would say my group of friends was sort of in the middle, right? It was kind of we could we could talk to sort of the most popular kids kind of hang out over there but we weren't really in that group and so that was another huge desire for me was okay I I could I could do all the right things to sort of get to that top place but I really thought about all these things okay what am I going to dedicate myself to Um, if I go the athletic route I wasn't any sort of major athlete so I realized okay probably in a few years that's gonna fizzle out Mm -hmm. if i go with academics okay maybe i could really push myself go to a great university and then pursue a career and make a lot of money and that could be my life or i could just go the route of really trying to be liked uh basing my life off of what people think of me and i looked at all those things but i i i just realized i don't want those things and actually if I'm honest with myself, what I really want more than anything is just to have a relationship with God, um, and I knew there was only one way to do it. But I, I had to really count the cost, right? As we as we say, and sure. uh, look at the the possible options I had. And but I really did come to that decision of there's nothing I want more in life than than a relationship with God, mm-hmm. and that was that was the moment for me where. I didn't have many doubts after that, after that point, that this is what I want to do.
1: Sure. And then you've, you've traveled, I mean, lived, whatever the word is, you've kind of been on this journey for 15 years, right? Um, and right. So, uh, there are people, I, I joke all the time that the only person who listens to this that's over 35 is my mom. So this <laughs> is primarily a very young audience. Uh, right. And some of whom have been Christians for a couple of months. Some of whom are deciding whether or not they want to be Christians, and some of them maybe, you know, pushing a decade. Uh, but what would you say are some key things that you learned, you know, in those early years of being a Christian that have helped you to kind of stay the course and stay faithful to Jesus even till now?
0: Well, I think one of the one of the convictions that I built early on. Uh, which, you know, I shared earlier, this is one of the things that helped me even as I was deciding if I wanted to be a Christian or not, was that I have to have relationships. And that's that's always been really important to me. I, um, Even the best friends that I have now, most of the best friends that I, that I have, I'm 30 years old now, but those were friendships that started being built when I was a teenager. Sure. So, I mean, the, the friends I talked to the most, I've known them since I was 15, 16, or even 18 years old at the beginning of university. Mm -hmm. And that has always been uh, a really deeply held belief and conviction for me. I have to have friends in my life who have the same faith and same convictions as me, uh, because this is the hardest way to live, I would argue. And if I try to do this without having support, I won't be able to. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I think just from the time I really started studying the Bible to when I first became a Christian and beyond, uh, I've always had a daily habit of reading the Bible and praying. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't even know now how many times I've read the whole Bible as far as every single book in the Bible. I mean, me- probably 10 times kind of for each book. And then Certain New Testament books, uh, it would be dozens of times, but Mm -hmm. uh, just this conviction that I cannot even let a day or two or three days go by without having that time to read and to pray. And and it became obvious to me very quickly that if I did let a couple of days go by without spending that time, I very quickly went back to the way I was living before. Um, All of my thought processes, all of my ways of looking at the world from before i became a christian they started coming back and that was scary to me i realized oh wow it's easy to lose this right it's hard to hold on to this but it's easy to lose this so i think the relationships and then just the daily
1: habits have been probably the main things that have grounded me for this time okay that's awesome. And, and it's cool because I think these are themes that just every, t- every, every person I talk to, every time it comes up, uh, there seems to be some things that just keep being underlined. And relationship is definitely, the relationships is definitely one of them. Prayer is definitely one of them. Um, definitely Bible reading as well. So I, I love that because in it just kind of reiterates uh, whatever the statement was by the previous guest of so five guests ago on the podcast. I was like, man, this is just stuff that is true, you know? And even for me, sure. as I try to lead young people in the position that I hold here with, with uh, teenagers and, and, and then campus age students is, you know, kind of helping them to say, man, just do the basics really, really well. Uh, and that repetitive work of the basics, mm. that's what, that's what mounds up into, you know, 15 years of, of, of being a Christian. Uh, But what would you say, you know, in 15 years, what would you say have been your biggest challenges? Like what has been like, man, this is just, it's just so hard to, whether it's a theological concept to grasp, whether it's a societal issue. I mean, we live in a very unique age right now and we can talk a little bit more about that later. But is there anything that you feel like, man, over the last 15 years has been, man, this has been challenging for me as I've tried to to navigate life as a Christian? Sure. Um, I think one of the, one of the
0: moments I always remember, one of the most challenging times for me was when I was, was 18 years old, I finished high school and then moved out of my parents' house to go to university. And so I, at this point, I had been a Christian for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I, I moved to university and I lived in an apartment with five other men. So it was, there were three bedrooms in this apartment. It was six of us total. Uh... And and I was the only Christian, as, I mean, as far as my five roommates had no interest in God, no interest in spiritual things. And that really was a defining moment for me because I had the whole world, so to speak, in front of me where now I'm out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. I'm totally on my own. And yeah. I don't have any accountability in my apartment. Sure. Uh, you know, there's no one none of my roommates is going to be looking at me wondering, oh, did Will read his Bible today? Did he pray? Sure. Uh, how's he doing his, in his relationship with God? And so that was a defining moment where I had, to, I had to almost, it was almost like a second conversion for me in the sense of, okay, I, I became a Christian, but now I'm out, I'm, I'm out of my parents' house. I'm on my own, and I've got to really decide again. Is this the life I'm going to live or am I going to just walk away from this? Uh, And that was a challenging moment. It was a daily fight to stay righteous, to spend that time with God and to pursue those spiritual relationships that were outside of my living spaces, right? So I had to take the initiative to pursue those times. And then I think uh, another defining moment was moving here to Spain. Uh, you know, I was already married at that point. My wife and I had been married for three years when we moved from the U S here to Madrid, Spain. And, and once again, it was this moment where overnight, all of the support that I had come to expect and come to rely on all of the encouragement that I had come to expect from the people around me, uh, or from the church that I was in was, was gone. And we stepped into a situation where we started leading the church. It's a foreign country. We had to learn a new language. Uh, and and, ju- and we had to learn a new culture, right? Which I I think for me, probably learning the culture has been harder than learning the language. It's so much more complex sure. than the language itself. And that was another defining moment of I cannot, as as important as my relationships are, I cannot rely on other people to give me what really only God can give me, yeah. which is to, to kind of fill my heart and soul to give me that encouragement to be the rock that I'm going to stand on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those were the, those have been hard moments where I had spent years of my life coming to expect certain things sure. in my relationship with God. And then I had to learn while wow, those things are not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'll just add one last thing that was hard last year, almost exactly a year ago, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and had to undergo a pretty intense surgery to remove a tumor and then start going through chemotherapy. And she, for right now the cancer is in remission. She, she seems to be recovering for now. She's okay. But that was another moment of, oh my gosh, even, uh, even family, even health is not guaranteed. Yeah. And, uh, And I had to, to again, go back to the roots of my relationship with God of, am I going to be upset with God if things that he never guaranteed me are not there, right? Things that I expect, but that weren't guaranteed, if those things are taken away, Mm -hmm. do I now get bitter with God? Do I now lose my faith or, or do I realize, okay, God never promised me uh, that all of my family members would be healthy or that I would always be healthy, or that I would always have a ton of support around me. So, so. I've got to go back to uh, the beginning, which is I just, I want to be with God and that's what's going to keep me grounded. So there have certainly been, and those are, those are three that come to mind. There's many more things that have been difficult, but certainly there have been challenges along the way.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, firstly, sorry about your mom. Uh, I'm super grateful to hear that she's in remission. I think that is, that is encouraging, but I know that it yeah. can't be easy. My, my dad was actually passed away from cancer. So I know that, you know, the getting those diagnoses and, and, you know, the prognosis of what's going to happen, et cetera, can't be easy, especially if right. you're in country, right. You're, you're, you know, time zones away uh, from family. Um, so, you know, sorry about that, but I'm grateful to hear that she's in remission. Um, but like you're saying, as, you, you know, as you're journeying through this, you're saying, man, I chose to be a Christian, um, but it's not an easy life, right? And I think there is a right. disenfranchised group of people who, for some reason, which I don't know why, because Jesus was pretty clear that in this world you will have trouble, but for some reason thought the, wo- the way of going Christian or going the Christian way should allow them to live this you know, blissful, you know, walking through the, the lilies, you know, sunflowers are smiling at you kind of uh, life. Uh, and yet, what you're saying is it's very difficult and it, it forces mm-hmm. you to go back towards God, right? Because you're saying sometimes the relationships aren't there, sometimes the circumstances are uncomfortable or the things are challenging and you've got to go back to God. What would you say are, you know, what are some maybe scriptures, bedrock scriptures that really help you or? potentially you know prayers that you feel like man you know this kind of prayer has really helped me anything like that that you can say man this practice or you know this discipline even if it's like fasting has really been a catalyst for helping me go back to God and dig deeper in that relationship and then if you could describe it for us practically so like you know how would I be able to implement kind of what you've been able to do in those times
0: sure uh well I think in this most recent sort of challenging time with, with my mom's health, what I've had to continue remembering is, uh, okay, when I became a Christian at my baptism, what are the, what are the two things that God promised me? He promised me the forgiveness of sins and he promised me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Anything else that God gives me, whether it's my marriage, having a child, uh, being able to be a missionary, which for me is, is a dream come true, friendships, any material goods, whatever else I have in my life, whatever good things I have in my life beyond those two promises, that's just extra. But that, that's not promised to me. That's not guaranteed to me. Uh, and, and that's something I've had to really think about, pray about, meditate on a lot that I, uh, I'm not entitled to, to any of these things. And, and obviously even God's promises to us regarding salvation, right? Our sins being forgiven the Holy spirit. I don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve that. That's only through Jesus' death and resurrection. And it is promised of course, you know, if we follow the scriptures, but, uh, but whatever good things I have in life, it's just, it's God's incredible grace and him just loving me beyond understanding. Uh, and so I've had to really grapple with that because I think there've been so many moments in my life where I have felt entitled. I felt entitled to having great friends around me all the time. I have felt entitled to, well, if I do the right things, um, you know, if I, if I, uh, keep myself pure and righteous, then of course I'll get married. Right. Of course I'll have that relationship. And, uh, I, I have felt entitled, which is it's not right, right? That, that's not a, a good spiritual way to think. Uh, as far as scriptures that have grounded me, so I think, I think one that helps me a lot is Second is Peter 1. Uh, it starts in verse 3, and, and it's where God, you know, it's obviously Peter writing inspired by God. It's God's word, and it says, his divine power has given us everything we need. For life and godliness, mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes on to say, what are the things we should add to our faith? Right, we add to our faith goodness, to goodness, kind of self-control, mm-hmm. uh, mutual affection, brotherly love, and if we continue adding these things, right, it will keep us from be- becoming ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and so for me, I've held on to that scripture even this year, 2020, with coronavirus, where everything that that we expected all of our sort of most stable things in life were taken away or at least put on hold and I had to go back to specifically verse 3 okay God's divine power it's given us everything we need for life and godliness so I with God I have what I need I don't have to rely on other things in this world to be able to have, uh, you know, manageable life or to live in a godly way. God has already given us everything we need. And, um, and honestly for me just meditating on, on several different Psalms where I've had to actually moments where it was hard for me to pray in this last year. It was hard for me to articulate my thoughts. And so I would just read Psalms out loud and let that be my prayer. Um, and even reading psalms of lament, like Psalm Psalm 88 is an example of just lamenting. And there's no happy ending in Psalm 88. There's, there's no kind of reconciliation by the end of the psalm and realizing it's okay for me to, to pray like that. Yeah. I don't have to always have a happy ending when I pray. I can just tell God, God, I'm, I'm upset. I'm confused. I don't understand why these things are happening and i'm hurt mm. and and it could be okay for me to pray like that and, and, and obviously eventually i'm going to want to work to a resolution right get to a conclusion where i do i'm able to be resolved in my faith yeah but it's okay for me to be honest in prayer god already knows what i'm thinking and feeling so yeah. it's not like it's a surprise to god when i say it out loud um and then, you know, as far as daily habits, I've had to extend my daily time with God, especially in the last year, again, with my mom's health, and then with coronavirus, both of those things combined. And what I do is I always, I'll typically do 20 minutes of reading the Bible, reading and taking notes. I'll do 20 minutes of reading another spiritual book, and then 20 minutes of prayer. And when I pray, I almost always now I write down my prayers. I have a journal that's my prayer journal, and I write it out. And that, for me, that just helps me focus. It helps me articulate my thoughts. I get so easily distracted. If I'm just sitting in a room praying, I'm thinking about 20 different things. So when I write it down, it helps me to really be focused and engaged with God for that time. So that, that's a habit of Bible and then a spiritual book and then prayer that I've tried to do every day. And that has really grounded me.
1: Um and that's there's a lot of good stuff there, right? There's there's uh, you know you kind of started off talking about this idea of you know it's not you know I follow God so therefore I deserve anything, right? It's it's man I've gotta I've gotta I right. have got to i have got to i to be clear that man everything is God's grace, you know, and even if it's hard to take in, that's just it is what it is, you know. That's the situation that I'm in. Uh, but then even to just being able to say, man, sometimes it's just praying the hard prayers or not praying at all and just reading a psalm and that being your prayer. Um, and then I love the practical on how your daily, you know, your daily practice looks every morning. Um, and I think you're right, man. I think for many people, we are living through 2020 has been the weirdest, craziest, most challenging year um, of our lives. And I think, you know, more now more than ever, we need to have an incredibly serious a devotion to our times with God because he is the only one who can help us who can encourage us who can walk with us uh, during a time like this so I appreciate you sharing that uh, I do want to kind of um, Talk about one of the hard times that you spoke about was your move to Spain, um, and I want to kind of just you know take me back a few years before that. How did you end up kind of in the full-time ministry? Uh, was that your first gig doing ministry? Kind of just going to Spain, leading a church. My guess is not. I don't know. You know, I, it could be, uh, but uh, you know, I think you would have probably needed some training. Get you know, get some time to learn stuff. Right. So how did that kind of come about, and then and then what kind of was the catalyst? It sounds like it's something you've wanted to do for a while. Um, you said it, it was kind of a dream come true being a missionary. So walk us through kind of that story. How did you end up, you know, being in Spain, leading a church in, in Madrid, Spain?
0: Sure. So, uh, well, as far as starting kind of my path in ministry, I was not planning on going into the full-time ministry when I started university. I, I actually... Studied business and my plan was to get my business degree and and start my career and and you know And live as a disciple within that but Mm -hmm. have my full-time job and and just I don't know Maybe lead a a small group in the church and be a support But when I when I first started at university again moving moving out of my parents house going and living in 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 an apartment, it's you know, it's a dormitory in the US living on campus Uh, there was just one other Christian on campus with me uh, as far as, you know, one other person where I knew, okay, we're going to be together here at this university. Uh, We started doing Bible discussions together, sharing our faith every day, and then studying the Bible with my classmates. And so that was just within the first two or three weeks of my my first year of university, where I was now doing that every day. And I, I hadn't been doing that nearly as often in high school. So now every day I'm sharing my faith, studying the Bible with people. We're having these Bible discussions on campus and I fell in love with it. And really within my first month of university, I decided, I think this is what I wanna do. And I started praying every day that, okay, God, I have four years of university. So I just pray that between now and the time that I graduate, you, God, make it absolutely clear if this is what you want for me, if this is your will for my life. And so I I continued with my business degree. I I actually studied marketing and information systems. So that I, I went through those four years. I got my degree. But by the end of that time, through praying, I mean, it was every day. I prayed every day for four years that God would make it clear. And he did. He made it. He made it very clear. This is this is kind of the path. This is the open door for you. And, uh, and so it worked out that my now wife and I, we had started dating during our last year university. We're the same age. So we, we started dating, we graduated around the same time Mm -hmm. and, uh, we were dating long distance. I lived in Baltimore, Maryland. She lived in Boston, Massachusetts, and we both had the desire to, to work in the full-time ministry. So we started interviewing and looking at different options of where we could go into the ministry. And we were hired by the church in Southern Connecticut. Um, it's very close to New York city. It's almost considered a suburb of New York city. Okay. And we moved there right after university. We were 22 years old and started to work with the campus ministry and the high school ministry in the church there. Yes. So we, we lived there for four and a half years working with those two ministries, being trained by the church leaders and um and then how did we end up coming to madrid from there so uh again i'll i'll, I'll try to explain it as quickly as possible because th- this is a shameless plug i i tell the story in much more detail in the book that you and i collaborated on the mission which is coming out this year uh so there there's a lot of details in there about this this very story but uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, we, we had always had this desire for ministry, but also to be missionaries, and specifically in Europe. Mm-hmm. My wife had the opportunity to go to Berlin, Germany, for three years in a row, three summers in a row between semesters, okay. to just help with the campus ministry there. So she would go and spend her summers uh, in Berlin, having Bible discussions on campus, sharing her faith with, with German college students. And so she developed this heart for Europe specifically and for the European churches. And I had always had a desire to be connected again to the Spanish language and culture uh, because up until I was three years old, I spoke Spanish. When we moved to the States, I, t- I forgot all of it, uh, totally was not able to speak it. Probably by the time I was five years old, it, it was gone. And I studied it a little in school, but, but didn't learn much of it. So I had this desire to get reconnected with the Spanish culture. My wife had a heart for Europe. And then as I learned more and more about sort of the state of Christianity in Europe, I realized, wow, uh, there's a lot of needs in Europe for people with faith to come and just talk about God and kind of preach the word and, and get God's word into people's minds and hearts again. Because, you know, Europe maybe prides itself as a post-Christian, post-modern, post-religion continent, by and large. And so I started developing this dream for Europe. So for me, it was quite clear, if I want to be in Europe, and I also have this desire to reconnect with the Spanish language and culture, well, then there's really one place that makes sense, (laughs) which is Spain. Um, For my wife, it wasn't as clear. She really wanted to go to Germany. But... As it turns out, uh, the couple that had been leading the church in Madrid had some health challenges. They were missionaries as well, but with the health challenges, they had to come back to the U.S. And my wife and I were planning a trip with a group of of kind of interns, like campus ministers, to come to Madrid for two weeks just to encourage the church. We were going to come, encourage the church, share our faith on campus, spend time with the disciples. And that trip actually turned into an interview. Two weeks before the trip, we were asked, what would you think about interviewing to lead the Church in Madrid? You know, there's a need for another leader to come in, another couple to come in. So we wrote down almost immediately 25 prayers, specific prayers that, God, if you want us to do this, please do these 25 things. Make it clear. Because at, at the time we interviewed, we were 26 years old. We had never led a church before. Uh, and we had only been married at for two and a half years by the time we interviewed. So we were young in our marriage and never led a church. So we just prayed all these prayers. God, please make it obvious if this is what you want us to do and prayers as specific as help us learn the language quickly. Uh, if you want us to go, then we pray that the church that we're in now can hire people to replace us and do what we're doing here we pray that the church won't be worried about our age you know the fact that we're young that the church will be unanimous in this the the decision to bring us in to hire us and god answered all those prayers that's what made it clear that's what made it obvious this is this is god's will we can't deny it and so even in the hardest moments here the days that are hardest right to be a missionary to be in a foreign country away from friends and family i remember all those answered prayers and remember that gosh god made it so clear how can i doubt it when god answered all these prayers that we we had put before him
1: yeah well okay, this is this is turning into quite a, a good conversation about prayer it seems to come up quite regularly in your in your journey and in your story here so i'm going to I'm going to ask uh, what I'm thinking is you prayed for four years, the same prayer, you know, for God to right. make it for you to go into the ministry. But then in this, you know, kind of it's two weeks before this two week trip to Spain. And now it's, there's a list of 25 things that you're praying for. And I'm sure you must have prayed for other stuff in between, you know, for your marriage, etc., etc. But it seems to be that there's this, uh, you know, Will Lambert's life is very re- reliant and revolving around prayer. Um, and so, you know, help me out, man. How do I, how do I channel that energy? You know, I I feel like my prayer life is always in a space where it can grow. I feel like, man, I I always need to learn how to do how to do prayer better, uh, how to do prayer more consistently, how to do greater volume of prayer, how to do greater depth and vulnerability in prayer. So, what are some things that really help you to have that kind of, you know? man, I just, I need to pray about this. And I'm going to, you know, whether it's the four years consistently, or man, I'm just going to be specific about 25 things God needs to make clear here. Um, how do you go about that? And, you know, how, you know, what, what, what has helped, what has helped you kind of cultivate that in your life?
0: Sure. Well,
1: I'll, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I think
0: that certainly part of the motivation of Whenever there's a big decision coming up, and, and I want to make sure that my wife and I pray a lot, a lot of the motivation is just to avoid making stupid decisions <laughs> or decisions that I'm, I'm going to regret immediately. Because sure, I, sure. I mean, there's been so many moments in my life where I thought everything made sense. I thought, okay, everything's in place for this to go well, for this to work. I feel great. I have no doubts. How could it go wrong? and then it totally blew up in my face. Oh, so no. I think so uh, a lot of it for sure was first learning it the hard way that okay, almost every time that I've just made a decision on my own wisdom, whatever wisdom I thought I had or my own understanding, mm-hmm. most of the time it has not gone well. Okay. So now that I've sort of observed that, let's try something different. And and that was for me this conviction of okay, I've got to just put it in God's hands because I may think that I see everything clearly. I may think that it all makes sense or that I'm prepared. What could go wrong? But how much can I really see? I I don't even know what's going to happen an hour from now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And sort of in the, the story of my life, right? Like this book that God is writing in my life, he's the only one that knows what happens on the next page. He's the only one that happens in the next chapter and he's definitely the only one who knows how the story is going to end. Yeah. And so before I try to jump into the next page or jump into the next chapter, I better give God every opportunity to guide me. And what do I mean by give God every opportunity? It's not, it's not like I'm deciding, you know, what God's going to do or not do. I just mean I want to try to open myself up to understand what God is wanting to do in my life right now and what he's trying to teach me because every time that I've tried to do it on my own, uh, it it really does not go well. And so let me, let me back up here. Let me pray. Let me just give it to God and see what he's going to do. And that's gone for everything from going to the ministry to moving here to marrying my wife. I mean, that, one of the scariest prayers I ever prayed that, and I prayed this until the day of our wedding that God, if you don't want Kristen and me to get married, then take it away. If this is not your will, then, then stop it, put, just block it. Don't let it happen yeah. because that's a lifelong decision. You know, is yeah. till death do us part. And so I don't want to, I don't want to jump into this again, thinking I know what's best thinking. I understand all of it but not giving it to God. So I think it started as learning it the hard way and then realizing, okay, I've made so many stupid decisions. This is clearly not working. So what's the alternative? It's, I'm just going to give it to God and and I'm going to let him, let him do it because I, every time I try to do it, uh, it doesn't work. So that's how it started. And now for me, it's just, it's a, it's a conviction.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, I can definitely relate that every time I've tried to do it on my own strength or my own understanding. Uh, yeah, it's it's not gone well. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been uh, right. been a learning a thing I've needed to learn. Um, and so I I dig that that's kind of where it comes from. And I think everybody can I'm sure relate to. Man, I just need to seek out what God says more because you're you're right. He he holds the book and he knows what happens in the next page and the, the final page as well. So so that's super helpful. Uh, but but take us take us to Madrid. You know we you've now you've moved there. Uh, for those who listen that are football supporters, he is a real Madrid supporter, not an Atlético Madrid supporter. That's right. Uh, that, is, that is good news. Uh, but but you've moved now over to to, uh, to Spain. You're leading the church and then. 2020 <laughs> the, the amazing year that this is right has been, you know um so so give me some kind of like a picture of what was it like as as the virus kind of came into spain and you know madrid particularly and things started getting shut down and, and what you know for you what were you thinking what were you processing as that happened because i think Different parts of the world, you know, obviously processed it differently, uh, and it seemed to go down differently. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you as kind of a person leading a church, leading young people, you know, what, what was all going through your mind during the time? It, it's certainly been difficult. Um, I think that
0: at, at the very beginning, so we in Spain, we went into lockdown this, it was the third week of March. That was when everything shut down. We were in quarantine uh, and pretty, pretty quickly the, the restrictions became really severe to the point where we could not even leave our homes unless it was going to buy food or going to work if you worked as an essential worker. But even going to work, you, you had to carry a document with you showing that uh, it, it's required for you to go to work. You know, you, you are an essential worker. And then we couldn't leave, we, we couldn't go beyond one kilometer of our homes. So even if you went to buy food, you had to stay within one kilometer of your home. Um, and the only, again, the only way you could go beyond that was, was going to work. And so for the church, we immediately had to start doing everything virtually, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. we, did, we did a YouTube live stream for our sermons. We, would, we did Zoom calls with small groups, family groups. And then we would have Zoom calls. We started doing Zoom calls every two weeks with the whole church together. We would, we would all, all watch the YouTube video. And then we would get on Zoom. And we would have a couple people share. And then we would pray together to take communion, each in our homes. And then uh, the next week, we would just meet in small groups over Zoom. But it was challenging as a church leader because, for me, there was, there was quite a bit of emotional pressure to make sure everyone was taken care of. Because we had people who lost their jobs and, uh, and were immediately in a pretty challenging situation economically, right, financially. Yeah. Uh, we had several people who during certain weeks did not have any money even to buy food. And so even trying to figure out what can we do to make sure everyone's taken care of, to make sure that at least everyone's basic needs are met. And then uh, as far as people's spiritual and emotional needs, of course, everything we have to do is virtual. So let's, let's do Zoom calls. Let's have phone calls during the week. Uh, there were different groups of, of you know brothers and sisters who would have devotionals every day over the phone, just reading scriptures together. Wow. But it was, uh, it was challenging as far as the emotional pressure as a church leader. And then just personally to mm-hmm. be at home with, uh, a one and a half year old baby right at, at the time that sure. all started, our son was one and a half and uh and just to sort of be stuck in the house together right yeah and i I mean I know that many people had much more challenging situations with three or four or even more children at home and yeah. trying to work uh you know you 're logging in trying to work for eight hours a day and i mean it 's just been uh it 's been a crazy year. And, uh, and I think personally it's been tough. And then as, as far as the being a church leader, more than anything, it's been the emotional pressure Mm -hmm. of trying to do everything we can to take care of people, keep everyone connected. Yeah. It's been difficult.
1: Sure. Yeah, man, I can, I can only imagine. And, uh, you know, I can definitely relate as someone who's also in the ministry, it has definitely there is a pressure to take care of people and and you know shepherd well uh, during a time like this. Right. Uh, so we appreciate your hard work. You know, I, I'm not in Spain or anything, but man, just the fact that you've been faithful, stay, stayed in there. You know, people, you could have pressed the eject button, man. You could have said, Nah, all right, dude, I'm going home, going back over right. to the states or what have you. So we appreciate your your hard work. Uh, but but as we as we kind of uh, bring this in for a landing, you know, if you uh, there's two things that I want to ask you. You know, first one is, if you think about uh, this time of, of lockdown, coronavirus, pandemic, obviously, uh, the racial and social injustice, I think, you know, in your home country of the U.S. has sparked worldwide kind of, uh, you know, movement, etc. cetera, um, but also just the general fallen state of the, of the globe. What would, you th- what would you say, you know, to young people to help them thrive in life as well as in their faith? What are some things that you feel like are... A key,
0: sure. Uh, uh, I think one thing is, if there's anything we've learned this year, it's that nothing in life outside of god is is really stable. There, there's really nothing else that we can actually rely on. Sure. Uh, we can't we can't rely even on on medical advances. We can't rely on even science because here we have this virus that, uh, that no one anticipated and that we're still trying to figure out how to treat. And it seems to be sort of evolving constantly, our understanding of it. And eventually, of course, we'll get to a point where we understand the virus. We, you know, we have an effective vaccine, but something else is going to come, whether it's in five years or 10 years. And there are always going to be things that happen, whether it's uh health related whether it is as far as uh, how governments are operating in peace times of peace times of war uh there's always going to be unknown unexpected things that happen in our lives and so if if we rely on anything besides god we're constantly going to be disappointed we're constantly going to be uh it's sort of destabilized, right? Because if we, if we sort of planted our flag on medical advances, on the scientific community, on the governments, or on the international community, we're always going to be uh, kind of thrown for a loop, right? Mm-hmm. God is the only thing that we can truly rely on. He's the only one that's, he doesn't change. He's unchanging, right? And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, And we can trust in God's promises, right? His promises don't change, even as the circumstances change. That would be my main encouragement to anybody. Uh, What we've learned this year is, well, we have to put all of our hope in God, not on anything else, because he is the only thing that's unchanging.
1: Sure. Amen. No, thanks, brother. I appreciate that, and I think you, you're spot on. Uh, unfortunately, even we change, right? You know, I feel good today. I don't feel so good the next day. You know, I'm up and down emotionally, physically. Uh, but you're right, and that God, God holds true. You know, my favorite passage in the Bible, in fact, is Malachi three six, where he says, "You know, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed." You know, because that's who he are. Right. Is, you know? So I really appreciate that. Um, and then you shamelessly plugged it earlier, but, but I do want to you know, kind of give you the platform to really a project I believe you came up with uh, that I was uh, very fortunate enough to kind of jump on uh, is to talk about the book, You know, the title, what is the book about, and then potentially when does it release and where will it be available in case someone on this podcast you know, would want to would wanna listen to it or oh, read it, sorry.
0: Sure. So the, the book is called The Mission. Uh, and it is with Illumination Public Publishers, Illumination Publishers International. the The plan is for it to be released in October of this year, so within the next two months. Uh, and it will be available on IPIBooks.com. But what it is, it's it's a collection of it's twenty nine chapters written by twenty nine different authors all over the world, from Los Angeles, California, to Boston, Massachusetts, to to Spain and Italy and France, to South Africa, in your case, uh, to Jakarta, Indonesia, and to to Papua New Guinea. I mean, it's truly an international book. It's written by young missionaries and young leaders, uh, young Christian leaders from all over the world, talking about their faith, talking about uh, significant moments in their lives, stories that brought them to God, moments where they've had to stand firm in, in spiritual storms. And this is a sort of a new version, not quite a remake, but it's, it's a new version of a book by the same title, which was released in 1990, uh, 1994, actually. Uh, there was a book called The Mission, and it was a collection of, of stories and chapters written by missionaries and, and Christian leaders all over the world. So this is sort of a new version of it with young leaders. Almost all of the authors are under 35 years old. And so uh, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite a global representation, right? It's got a global representation of, of just these young, faithful people all over the world talking about their lives, talking about their convictions. So I think it will be a great resource to, to anybody, young and old alike, uh, whether you're in the ministry or not. There's in, a lot of inspiring content there.
1: Come on. That's awesome, man. And uh, yeah, again, thank you very much for for thinking of me, somehow finding me through the interwebs and, uh, you know, allowing me to participate in being one of the 29 chapters. I really do do appreciate that. But above that, man, Will, thank you so much for availing us, you know, giving us your time. uh, Sure. Come on here and and chat. Uh, Honestly, I feel like I learned so much about prayer. i have very challenged in my own life, about my, my prayer life for sure, and so much more. And so just so grateful for you, brother. And I'll be praying for you guys over in, in Spain uh, and in Madrid particularly. And uh, we'll pray that Madrid can uh, get a Champions League in the 2020-2021 in the season. I uh, appreciate you. I hope
0: so. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. For more thought provoking conversations, subscribe to the Rima Klale Life and Faith Podcast. Please like, review, and share so that we can continue to help others thrive in their life as well as in their faith.